and welcome to the Scottish Roadscast, a podcast all about Scotland's roads, bridges and motorways. I'm Stuart. And I'm John. John, so good to see you. How are you? I'm very, very well, Stuart. It's nice to be doing a podcast where it's just the two of us. It is. It's just you and me here in SRAHQ. It's like old times. (laughs) Like the old days, indeed. It is is indeed. Now, you have a very interesting topic for Mm -hmm. us this month. It's a while since we've really covered this type of topic. The last few podcasts we've been talking a lot about route histories and anniversaries and things. Mm -hmm. This one's more about policy and, well, you know, you tell us. Okay, well, Stuart, you have alluded to it the right way because this is a slightly different podcast, the usual, in that we need, I feel, to have a discussion about the very essence of car travel and some of the discussions swirling around now by the kind of policymakers, engineers, academics um, on our kind of relationship with the car, how we travel, mm-hmm. and the you know the spaces where we kind of live and work. Uh-huh. So uh, it is a bit of a discussion uh, coming forward uh, on this one, but I've come up with the idea based on a recent BBC Sounds episode, which you will be familiar with, um, called, was it Glasgow Motorway City? Yes, that that was the one. It went out on BBC Radio 4 uh, one Saturday night at the start of February Mm -hmm. uh, of 2024, uh, but is now available on BBC Sounds. Yeah. Yes. Now, we're on this one. They do use some contemporary clips from yourself, but they have used some old clips from us back from a BBC documentary in 2015. That's right. So I I was asked if I would... A, give a contribution to the documentary which I did covering the uh, history of the Glasgow Motorway system and how yeah. it all came to be and as you say yeah they used a clip of us from the Scotland at Work documentary that you and I were involved in way yeah. way 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 back in 2015 back when I had hair yes that's how you can date and things. I and I had colour in mine <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I know oh, no just for men back then eh? no exactly <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the synopsis of this uh, BBC Sounds thing was it was generally a look at the, the, the Glasgow motorway system. Yeah. Getting various viewpoints from the people. I think they, they even had John Cullen in there. Yeah, um, there was some archive footage archive, of John Cullen. Archive yeah. thing, which, mm-hmm. you know, obviously John Cullen's no longer with us. So no. it was nice to hear him again yeah. uh, in this. But they, they covered everything right up from, you know, how the Glasgow motorway system came to be up to what happened in the 1990s mm-hmm. with you know, building of the M77. But as I listened through it, I found there was quite a bit of emphasis in this, and especially how it finished, and this is my opinion, okay, um, on the critiques of the Glasgow motorway system. Okay. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Now, going forward, this podcast, obviously there are going to be some opinions that I'm going to hold on this, which don't necessarily reflect the rest of the archive it's oh. membership. So we're in for a wild ride, We're in we? for a wild ride, and okay. when anything comes with a disclaimer, you know you're going to be in for a jolly good listen, people. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> but also saying that, I'm not forcing my ideology on others, but we do seriously need to discuss and reflect on the fact that when it comes to kind of cars in towns and the travel conveniences that we have traditionally enjoyed, you know what, Stuart? We, we might be wrong, you know, as people who find the car convenient, who, who travel in the these ways, you know, and all the, the arguments that go around, maybe we're the ones that are wrong, or I'm the one that's wrong. Okay, interesting. So, okay. Um, that's, that's why I've thought of it that way. Uh-huh. Okay. Bit of a preface then. So, 
you know, you and I, and we have a membership in Duncan and, and, and Wojciech, and so we've all kind of worked on this. But traditionally, we've built up our archive initially around the study of the roads and motorways in Glasgow. Uh-huh. And over time, we have broadened out to include all of Scotland, becoming the Scottish road archive that we, we know and love. And so much work still to be done on that. But we have traditionally viewed the road system in Glasgow and its network of urban motorways as a tremendous engineering achievement. Mm-hmm. Which and it is. It is, yeah. And But also from a personal perspective, something we find quite convenient to use. As road users in the Glasgow area. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And some, certainly some people would share that in saying that, yeah, you can get around anywhere on a motorway in mm-hmm. Glasgow. And not just that. The very reason why we're here to talking about it, because we find it interesting. Uh-huh. Well, very much so, yeah. You know, for, look at it from a historical perspective. So you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. That's one of the reasons, as you say, why the archive was founded, because we had that, that sort of genuine interest in why does Glasgow have this extensive network of mm. urban motorways, not just motorways, urban motorways, yeah. which you don't necessarily see in the other big UK equivalent cities like Manchester, Liverpool, you know, Sheffield. All right, Liverpool's got... Eh, sorry. Leeds has got its own mm-hmm. inner ring road motorway, but it's like a dual carriageway. They're isn't not it? really networks. No, no, they're not really networks. So Glasgow, kind of, uh, when when compared to these other cities, is sort of unique in that front. Yeah. Now, can you remember, Stuart, when you first became interested in this, even probably as a child or a teenager? Very much so. Very much so. And would you say that your, I don't know, your your enthusiasm and the way you present your interest in this has probably evolved over time? We of would, of course. I'm going to admit this, but I was a bit more giddy about it mm-hmm. when I first became involved in it because you just naturally are with these things. Yeah. But over time, as we come to work with these systems, yeah. and our, our viewpoints can sometimes change. Of so course, we were we were giddy, we were enthusiastic about mm-hmm. this, and then you know we've we've gone over time to to look at other things, and yeah. we do still appreciate it for what it is. Well, the, the the Glasgow Motorway Collection is still the biggest single part of our archive. It is, you know, so yeah. it's always going to be the biggest single part. Even of Scotland's road system, if you take the whole lot of it, the yeah. Glasgow Motorway System and Expressway Network is the biggest single piece of infrastructure for roads in the country anyway. So that, yeah. that you know, that's... And there you the have case. it, people. Anyone out there accuses us of being quite biased towards Glasgow. It's probably why, because we have so much stuff on in, it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I'd love to be able to replicate that for, for elsewhere in the UK, but it's it's trying to handle the amount of stuff we're getting in at the moment. You know? Exactly. Um, the archive is growing more than we let on, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. Um, but anyway, thinking back to my point, you know, we're, we're out, as, as that BBC Sounds had a, had a kind of a bit of a clip of us, you know, driving around the network and pointing these things out. That was 10 years ago. That was then. This is now. Uh-huh. And I'm sure you're aware, the zeitgeist is that we really should be reducing car miles, especially when it comes to urban areas, and looking at other means of transportation under this nebulous term of sustainability, you okay. know? But what does that mean in this day and age? If, some, if I say to you, Stuart, you need to travel more sustainably, what do you think of when you think of, of sustainability and travel? The, the first thing that comes to, comes to mind is... For me, that means using an electric vehicle almost because it's a okay. you know not using a fossil fuel, you mm, know okay. you, you know to 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 make it work, um, yeah or public transport, yeah you know the use of public transport you know mass transportation, mm-hmm. um, that to me sounds like something that's, that's I'm glad you can ask because I don't 
I don't know what yeah. that means. I, I see well, these I diagrams mean, where it's like, look how much space a car takes up on a road compared to like a bicycle, or look how many people you can get on a bus compared to a whole lot of cars. Yeah. And it, it, when put in that visual format, you think, well, that that is a fair point, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's obviously disadvantages to maybe taking a bus over a car or a cycling when it comes to some to driving or whatever. So it's not exactly apples for apples. But I, I don't know really what this sustainability thing means. Maybe you're right. It's about an environmental impact. Well, see, the, the whole basis of st- sustainability as a as a thing is that we don't affect the future by making poor decisions now or using, you know, too many materials. Or, you know, you know what I mean. It, yeah. That's a good dictionary yeah. way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. So you know, we're not almost like that selfish. We, we don't you know, exploit the present at the ex, you know at the expense of the, the future. expense of the future exactly. Okay. okay, that covers off that that you you have defined that actually quite well. Um, but let's think about these current discussions that are going on now. We know there are things about removing parts of the M8 or downgrading certain roads. There's been some discussions. Been some that, discussions yeah. on mm-hmm. this, and certainly Glasgow's not unique in that. No. That some other cities have looked, and some cities have even done it. Yeah, you know, it's this downgrading of our high quality roads. A lot of this infrastructure was put in, in the sixties and seventies. People have seen it as more of a, an eyesore, a burden. And look at these, and these roads and these systems mostly catering, of course, for vehicular traffic. Um, and I think a lot of these arguments that are going around the way that I've seen them, they are well intentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no malice in it. Uh, because they're around, you know, curbing air pollution, making streets safer, and improving the environment of places we, we you know, work and travel. However, I would like to give you an example. In Glasgow, of course, why I think we are perhaps going down a path where we're, we're, we've got a kind of a solution in what some people are proposing, um, searching for a problem. So... I'm going to give you a case study. And I told you about this the other day. You've got that face on you, Stuart, because you've forgotten what I've said to you about this. But <laughs> the other weekend, I drove to Pollock Park, okay, in Glasgow. Uh-huh. I went I went to the Borough Collection, which okay. is fantastic, by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there were three of us in the car, uh, and it was a weekend. Mm-hmm. I left my house in West Lothian, which admittedly is very close to the M8. Yeah. Okay. Um, got on the motorway and went on my journey. In this journey, I encountered very little congestion, uh, and my journey was interrupted only once by a set of traffic lights at the top of a slip road on the M77 at Dumbreck. Okay. Okay. I didn't. I didn't even have to contend with a roundabout or any pedestrian crossing. It was this uninterrupted journey of slip roads and motorways with blue signs above me. And as far as journeys go, it was the very opposite of a faff. We left the house in our own time, and my dad, who is getting on in his years now, um, can't walk very far. This mode of travel by car kind of suited us perfectly. So in the it was, time it was very, it was a very convenient method of travel Absolutely for you on that particular all. day. Okay, I left a whole other county, went straight into, well, or past a city centre to somewhere south of the city centre, got off the top of a slip road, and I was, I was pretty much there. So, with that scenario. Isn't that, Stuart, an example of a society that has achieved the ultimate goal of convenience and thus brought ease and comfort to its people? The problem there with that argument is that there are 
quite a few people mm-hmm. who don't have access to that convenience. So you, do, so you don't own a car? Yes. And Glasgow, uh, being a city with problems, you know, um, social issues and whatnot, uh, has a high proportion of residents that don't have access to a private car. But my, but okay, so I've made that journey, but has that come at the expense of those people who, who don't own a car? Some would say... We will cover fact, this later, so don't go too in-depth. Yeah. <laughs> some, some would say the fact that the road runs close to those communities yeah. means that they are suffering at the expense. But if, know, but if I then, if that road wasn't there, I might never have made that journey. Which is a whole other argument about economics. Economics and, <laughs> and, and other things to do. I, I know. But it, the weird thing is, Stuart, and I, maybe I shouldn't. You're going to tell me I'm being silly, but I actually now suddenly feel bad. You know, not not because of what you've said, but with all these discussions about, I feel like I'm somehow selfish because I use a car. You know, I feel bad. I genuinely do for indulging in something that I've been doing for years. Maybe indulging is not quite the right word, but just just using just using it, just doing well, it because the roads are there. We, you know, they're there to be used. They're there to be used. And are you doing anything wrong? No. No. Are you? You know. It is, I mean, um, the thing is, though, is that there's people who are advocating these big changes in how we travel, and would they always hear this term, reducing car miles. Yeah. And I always think of that as, make don't ban cars, but more it's a case of like, do I really need a car? Or maybe I should only go to here and then take public transport from here. Well, so I, I guess in that sort of a scenario, right, the journey you made probably wouldn't be one that would be seem to be unnecessary or you were making a visit to a specific destination mm-hmm. that's difficult to access by public transport mm-hmm. from where you live and not only that you were transporting an elderly relative yeah to that venue yes therefore the car was the most convenient way for you to do that yeah in your car you also had three adults mm. right so the car was not it wasn't just a single occupant in no it was it wasn't a commute so, yeah it was a so, leisure trip well, well that's it so you know th- there are different types of journeys as well isn't you know i know i forgot to say there was another benefit i stopped and got milk on the way back right okay you know so there was a quick thing that i could do there right um you know but but, but is that bad is that wrong that's it and it's it's like am i selfish for doing that am i the dinosaur that's so wedded to his car that that i need to change you know and these are certain kind of questions that are coming up in my head and i think maybe need discussed again the particular journey that you that you outline is, is sort of a sort of stands out from that, doesn't it? Because the borough collection is a is a big venue mm-hmm. that people visit from all over the country, from all over the world. Um, you know. So it was the easiest way for you to get there. I don't think that's a problem. If however you were driving, say, forty minutes mm-hmm. to go to the supermarket, you know, four times a week or whatever, you know, is that essential? Is that the sort of thing that we should be trying to undo by providing more facilities in the, yeah. in the local neighbourhood. You'll be aware of the concept of 20-minute neighbourhoods that the Scottish Government have been mm. have been looking into recently where the majority of the, the things that you need in your life are within 20, are within minutes. 20 minutes, which means you, 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 you don't really need the car. You know, you can walk there within 20 minutes. You know, so it's about, you're, re, you're reducing your car journeys and your well, car miles on. there, aren't I, you? I need, you, you suggest now walk back with six bags of shopping. That's not going to happen. No. You know, this is this is the thing. You know, is it like there's always this thing with the car? You think, oh, we should maybe just 
get the train or get the bus or maybe you should mm-hmm. walk. And then you think, no, because I've got to lug that around or I've got to need this or what if it starts raining? I mean, this is February we're talking about here where the weather is very, very changeable, you yeah. know. Um, but this is another, the other part of the argument is is all the people who are advocating against this. Are we forgetting about how convenient the car is? Are we maybe not appreciating how good it is? Or maybe the people putting these arguments forward don't even own cars. They don't know what they're missing. You know, is that we have something great here, Stuart. We have something door to door, you know, and why am I feeling bad about it? And this this is the thing. Perhaps if we're heading for a post-car world and there is nothing we can do about it, you know, that's the way it's going to be. But I think it's something that's worth discussing because I don't think I'm alone in these views, but I only ever hear the the, the views that seem to oppose the convenience of the car, never yeah. the ones that, that advocate for it. And I yeah. don't know why that is. Well, because any any group on any matter anywhere on, on the planet Earth that has a has an interest in, in opposing something or having a particular viewpoint in something is always going to be quite vocal about it. Yeah, you know, so even though they might not represent everyone. Well, well that's right. And, and and I guess that that's ultimately the case with, with not just this issue, but, but a lot of other issues. But, but I also have to make the point that you, you speak about the convenience of it and mm. the access to it, which is all good. But we we also have to bear in mind that there are significant proportions of people who don't have access to it mm-hmm. um, and that, that they suffer as a result of that. Because the infrastructure laid down to support that that's sort right, of thing. You yeah. know? So you, you could almost say that you have proportions of society that are excluded yeah. from that convenience just because they can't afford the car or that's, because they don't have access to the car. That's a good and, word. I, I Yeah, okay. And how do you address that wider issue and then in the case of the m8 in particular i think the basis of all the argument is okay it's an urban motorway yeah and urban motorways have never been popular Mm -hmm. never i mean you can go back to to the late 60s and well they've been popular in this household up to a point you know when we've been discussing things well that's right but but when you think of the the sort of a general public's view of that now you're talking about how we see them as popular that's from the from the unique engineering features of them as a thing yeah. Right. We're fascinated by them because they are so different, because mm. they are so rare in this country. Yeah. Right. For that reason. So that's why they're fascinating to us. Why does Glasgow have it? Why does no one else have it? Yeah. All right. But even then, if you go back to the late 60s, the early 70s, there was a vociferous debate on the impact of urban motorways Particularly on London. Absolutely. You know, yeah. On the local population. Mm-hmm. Now, Glasgow had a bit of a unique opportunity in the sense that they were remolding, rebuilding, reshaping entire communities. Yeah to suit their vision of the future. well, And that meant being able to slot some of these roads in between. However, where that worked in some cases, it didn't in others. Say, for example, Charing Cross, where the motorway was built through an existing community that wasn't being reshaped Mm. in this new style, this new modern outlook. And people who live in that area who are impacted by the presence of the motorway obviously have a, a very strong viewpoint yeah. on it and that's the other side and, a, so and probably quite a qualified view because they live there your convenience yes is almost impacting upon their community yeah. okay right? so you have to bear in mind that there's that side of the argument as well yeah right okay just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> all right just just for the um listeners clarity i'm not i'm not drawing Stuart any evil looks here and neither is he doing it to me <laughs> Right, very simple question. Uh, no, it's it's actually not a simple question, but I want you to answer it in a simple way, I suppose, Stuart. Is uh, looking at Glasgow, we have, we, you have, as we've said, there are more motorways, uh, miles of urban motorways in Glasgow than any other city. Yeah. Hence, motorway city and all these kind of things. And I explained this journey, and I came in on the M8, mm-hmm. 
uh, and I, I went off on the M77. So I used the Urban Motorway Network for this, so did, this, did, this did journey. You used the Monkland Motorway, yes. the Inner Ring Road, and, and, and the Kingston Bridge. I did. You did. Okay, that's yeah, an interesting choice that you didn't choose to use the M73 and the M74. Well, I, I figured there was no uh, congestion, and it was okay at okay. that time of day when I went through. Fair point. Um, but but why this Urban Motorway Network and Glasgow? Why, why was Glasgow sort of special? Why didn't they do this in Edinburgh and other things like that? What's your quick answer well, just just for people who need to be brought up to speed? I, of course, know the answer. So I, why, I, why did this all get built and why is it convenient to the car? As, as I outlined in the, the contribution mm-hmm. to the documentary, Glasgow had some unique challenges mm-hmm. and it had a unique opportunity, right? Right. So... The nature of the Glasgow conurbation is that everything is funneled through the middle of the valley, right? Mm-hmm. We've got hilly ground to the south, hilly ground to the north, and this extensive valley down the middle where the population is spread out through both the city and the towns and suburban towns, Paisley, Motherwell, Coatbridge, yep. Renfrew, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And historically, as a result of that, all of the major routes going from east to west, north to south, either converged within or very near to Glasgow city centre. Yeah. And its industry was also in the centre as well. That's right. Yeah. And the impact of that at the time was that all traffic, whether it had a business on the city's residential streets, city centre streets or otherwise, um, or was long, longer distance traffic, it was Mm -hmm. all squeezed into this one area. And the situation was becoming untenable because the roads that the city had at the time, mostly designed and built in the Victorian era, were simply unable to cope with the traffic of the time and certainly not with what was being predicted for the future. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily answer the question of why it's urban motorways over anything else, because they could easily have gone for all-purpose dual carriageways or, or at-grade junctions or any number of things. However, because of this desire, both within the, the Scottish office, now the Scottish government, wider UK government policy and the like. This this realisation that the traditional industries were dying and that new commuter towns and things were popping up around uh, and new industries were developing, there was a desire to have traffic and goods and people and whatnot all moving very quickly and very efficiently from one end of the country to, to the, the other. other. Yeah. And the Scottish office from the early 1960s had a stated aim to replace the substandard A8 trunk road with a new motorway standard route Right, mm-hmm. and the reason for that was that kept pedestrians and cyclists and, and people like that away from the road, mm-hmm. and the traffic that had no interest in a particular local, you know, local area, or whatever that was saying going from the new port at Port Glasgow through to West Lothian to the big industries that were popping up there at that time. Yeah, they had a nice easy route mm-hmm. to do that. Now, there's also the the part of the you know, the debate about comprehensive development. And Glasgow had this very unique Set of circumstances where a lot of this was being cleared out anyway. Where they had a lot of social deprivation, Mm -hmm. poor quality housing, and the decision was made by the corporation and its planners at the time that rather than refurbish, renew what you have, make the most of it, it was simply easier to to clear it all away and start again. Mm-hmm. because the viewpoint at that time as we're coming out of the Second World War and even through the 1950s was everything that's old represented a vision of the city that they no longer wanted to have of people squeezed into houses you know to to single rooms and kitchens all these sorts of things and they saw these nice new modern high-rise blocks and flats and all these things as being the future yeah. now 
easy with the benefit of hindsight, 60, 70, 80 years later, looking mm -hmm. back and going, that was the worst decision ever. Mm -hmm. However, that opportunity to clear away and start again meant that they could bring in engineers and say, right, okay, you have a unique opportunity here to squeeze in the road system, that, the, the best road system that we could possibly have. What yeah. should that look like? And of course, the answer at that time was, well, you want an urban motorway with a reasonable speed limit on it that takes away the through traffic from the city streets, mm -hmm. but keeps pedestrians and cyclists and other people safe. The other single issue that was a driving force behind a lot of this was that the accident rates on Glasgow's local roads at that time was well above the national UK average from fatalities. Because you've got all these killed and trucks the thundering trucks down streets yeah. and through, yeah. And by providing this new high quality road system, you removed, you removed that it. problem. Okay. So it wasn't just about the movement of goods and people, it was also about improving the safety and the, the, the sort of a general operation of the of these local roads that didn't need that level of traffic. Two good examples, Alexandra Parade, mm -hmm. which up until 1975 was the main route east out of the city. That now is more residential in character, yeah, more definitely. like a local high street than, than, than a strategic route. Uh, Paisley Road West is another good example. Mm. And we also have shared images in the past of Bridgeton Cross on what was the A74 and the A737 where they used to meet, where that was another strategic node in the old network that was now, that was very busy that's now basically traffic-free. Because you've got you know. the, the M74 uh, yeah. and Rutherglen and these so places as well. That yeah. was kind of the reason. Now, you, you did say, well, why did Edinburgh not do it? Well, Edinburgh didn't have those challenges that it Glasgow didn't. had. Okay. And there were some other cities in the UK that did have challenges, but they simply didn't, they weren't as interested in the need for strategic roads. If you think of Liverpool, you think of Birmingham, you think of Manchester, the strategic road network from north to south in England, for example, they were already being served by roads that were much further away from, you know, from the big conurbations. You know, like mm. the A1, okay, it skirts a lot of the towns. They had already built bypasses and things through the 1920s and things like that. The yeah. A6, okay, not the most efficient route, but it wasn't the thunder and fruit. You know, you didn't have five, six, seven major national roads converging within the one city centre. Yeah. Right. So again, some more unique things sort of in situations there. in Glasgow and just the topography and all these things of where I have. So with that in mind, Stuart, the the engineers at the time had you know quite significant challenges. You've outlined them very well there. That was a good answer. Thank you. And they came up with a solution that solved a lot of these problems for the most part. They built quite a lot of this network. Yes. You know. And in light of this, would you now, and, and these discussions that are going on now where people are talking about reducing car miles and, and these, these motorways being a blight on cities and cars, would you would you say that this could be short-sighted, well, what was done in the 60s? I, look, I think it's clear from the current debate that, that's you know, currently playing out that the controversial part of this whole motorway puzzle in Glasgow is the inner ring road. It's the okay. north and west flanks of the inner ring road. Not exclusively. No. Because we you, have had problems with the M77. Yeah. The you, M74. But the current debate. The current the debate. The current debate yeah. is focused very much on the inner city section of the motorway. Yeah. Right? And I guess that's almost a symptom of the fact that the highway system as proposed was not completed in full. Yeah. Because the Charing Cross section of the M8 has become a very important part of what was just supposed to be one section of road. You know, the outer bypasses, the outer ring roads were never constructed, so all traffic is funneled onto this single motorway, the M8, yeah. and a bit of M74. So what was supposed to be the quietest section of the Glasgow motorway system, i.e. the, the northwest corner yeah, of the, the ring road, cross. is now actually 
one of the busiest parts of the because whole motorway system. Build the other side of it. Some people think, well, thank goodness we never well, built the right, other side. Yeah. We just sort of had more of the problem then. And then, well, know. there's and then of course then there's the wider debate about what would be considered suitable because the east and south yeah. flanks, in my view, were never going to get constructed because of where they were proposed to go. Yeah. Uh, and then that then takes you back to the whole the debate in the first place about the suitability of the the plan and what was built and where it was built. Mm. Okay. I think the the corporation knew what it was trying to do. But the circumstances around all that all changed very quickly and people's viewpoints changed very quickly. And I guess the debate now is that we've been left with this this relic from decisions that were made many, many decades ago mm -hmm. and much has changed. Much has since changed. Then. Okay. Well, we're going to get back to poor old me, Stuart. <laughs> okay. And why I still think this infrastructure has a role to play and dare I say plays a role in a solution too. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do feel like I'm being somewhat punished for having a mode of travel that is convenient by the tone of some of these discussions going on right now. Um, notice I say I didn't I didn't say the word choosing because we don't really choose to have a car the same way that we choose what to have for dinner, right? Mm -hmm. We have for the majority of the population, especially somewhere like Scotland where let's let's not forget it's not just the central belt in Scotland, you know, where I'm from in the north of Scotland, you know, rural parts of the country. Yeah. You know, um, you you are conditioned basically to get a driving license from a young age a young age and pursue, pursue car ownership because you do not have no. good public trans and, and transport that's, options. That's where, I guess, there is probably no one-size-fits-all policy as no, far as private car ownership in Scotland yes, is concerned. Because exactly. what yeah. works for the towns and the cities would never work for But they do cross-pollinate yeah. in terms of there are, there are rural areas surrounding Glasgow and these rural areas and the people that live in them do need to go to glasgow yeah. and 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 stuff like that as well i mean it's not all completely urban in mm -hmm. in the central belt and i think when it comes to the kind of kind of car ownership you imagine it you, you you turn 17 you're getting your driver's lessons driving lessons come on we need to get you get you through your test you get a car i don't really think it's it's not a bad thing as in a car is an essential means of travel and independence if you're young and Let's be honest here, it increases our, our job prospects and you can travel further to get the right job if you do have a car. I'd advise anyone to do it. That definitely applies to people who grow up in areas that are perhaps not well served by good public alternatives transport. and public transport and whatever. Now, you grew up in the north of Scotland yeah. in a, a rural community where yeah. that's absolutely the case. That for you to have any sense of freedom as a teenager yeah. a young adult you required access to a car to be able to ex access the things that any normal young person would, would be like able to, to access. access but if you put yourself in the position of say a 17 or an 18 year old person in say glasgow yeah. the east end of glasgow or even the west end of glasgow who perhaps don't have the same need to, to access that car they're on the complete other side of the debate so they, they yeah. don't appreciate your need for that Mm. They just see that they have good, accessible, reliable public transport on their doorstep and they can make use of that. Now, I'm in, I guess I'm in a sort of a half-and-half half position. In I was this just going to ask you, because yeah. you're, you're from Lanarkshire, yeah. which is, that's, it's a kind of a, a, a within Gla Greater Glasgow's orbit. Yeah. yeah. So when did you learn to drive? Well, I learned to drive when I was 17. Well, there you go. Okay, because, and again, it, it's the same thing, isn't it? That in the sense that if I want to go to Glasgow or any of the other towns 
in the conurbation during the day, I can do so with absolutely no problem. If I want to do that in the evening, and my work at that time required me to do journeys in the evening, yeah. there was simply no way I could do that on public transport. So mm. I've kind of got into that mindset as well. And I also, In fairness, you use both, because you use yeah. the bus to commute if I, you go in I, I'm a bus commuter. I'm a train user. Yeah, train Re- Regularly, and have been for, for years. Yeah. Um, you know, so I... I don't use the car for commuting, commuting. in a traditional yeah. sense. Okay. Um, it, it's another thing. Do you ever hear this, right? The war on the motorists. It's a tabloid favourite. And I don't really believe it because I don't think, this is me personally, I uh-huh. don't think people should be able to just drive wherever they want, park their cars with gay abandon, and it's my right and that's it. I don't. I don't believe that is a thing. We do need to have control over that sort of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, and that I'm not turning around saying. It's and by the way, it's like America where by, you can by just the drive way, anywhere. You, you remember we've made this point in podcasts before yeah. that even in those 1960s Glasgow Highway documents and reports, it's very clearly stated that they know that they, they will know never allow not... for unconstrained growth of traffic. Yeah. That's in no one's interest. So here's the thing, right? This is where I'm going to start getting angry now, okay? Because. We hear all this, but when we look at Glasgow, we look at the road system it has with the Clydeside Expressway, the the M8, the M74 and the M77, okay? You have an urban road network that actually works, Mm -hmm. okay, compared to other places. And you think about trying to drive into other towns. But it it does actually work. But why are we then destroying what is potentially, or proposing to destroy part of the solution that we already have for many of the contemporary arguments for reducing car travel, we we have actually a great solution already in place of keeping a lot of the cars off the streets Be- and enabling cycling, enabling walking. Because many people would say that they are suffering for your convenience because they have to live right. next to those roads, okay. which are catering for people coming in from the suburbs or beyond into the city. Now, the other side of the argument, and others would say, well you're keeping that traffic away from, from, from the residential then. streets yeah. and things in that area. But then there's, there's things like noise, there's there's pollution, there's yeah. all these other things that come come with that that the only people who live next to it can, can really fully appreciate, you know? And mm. you're just thundering through at 50, 60 miles an hour. You're getting no real sense of what that might be like living in, in your nice area you know, commuter belt town, new development with a lot of space. Hold on a minute. From, I used know. to live next to the M8. I know what it's like. That was a rural part of the M8. I know what it's like. But this is a good segue because this always comes up, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, Stuart, so the listeners have it embedded in their brains now as this, this sort of inequality there where mm-hmm. it's like people are traveling through areas mm-hmm. where road traffic doesn't benefit. I'm going to challenge it. Okay. Okay. So motorway placement and low car ownership, this comes up. So an argument I find particularly frustrating is is this one of low car ownership in an area that a road or a strategic or regional importance uh, kind of passes through. Mm-hmm. Do people honestly think that they only uh, exclusively build roads to service the area that they pass through? They don't. Okay, so a road goes from A to B and passes through and links up areas along that route. And while having a road go through an area might not be the most pleasant thing aesthetically or you know environmentally they do bring wider benefits in terms of trade business connections and these safety improvements so if you were say living somewhere along where the m77 corridor was in the south side before it was built and all this traffic was thundering to Ayrshire through there then that traffic is then taken away by the m77 and you might not own a car 
but it will have brought you an improvement. And this comes up on that BBC Sounds podcast. I heard many kind of snippets from that time of, you know, when they were building the M77. And that was in the mid-1990s, where people were saying, quite a lot of the protesters, local ones at least, voiced their concerns about low car ownership in, like, the Moss Park area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you recall this. Now, as far as motorways go, let's just focus on the M77. We're moving away from the ring road here. Uh-huh. Um, the M77 is one of the most sensitively constructed i certainly believe uh, it went through the very edges of pollock park and involved absolutely well very little demolition of any properties or houses as it went along to accommodate it not to mention it's landscaped and set in such a way that it kind of complements uh, the environments it fits in quite well you but know? thinking about it from from what their point of view would be, right? So I'm the, sorry, that argument of mine was too compelling for you to object so to. The A, <laughs> the A77 in its old form yeah. went through some of the more affluent parts of the yeah. south side of Glasgow. Busby, Cathcart, mm-hmm. Newton Mearns, right? Clogged every day, congested, because all those people, all the wealthy people in the south, south side of the city, travelling towards the city centre, clogging up the A77. Oh, well, we'll solve that problem. Yeah. We'll build a new motorway that's much further west than the old road. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it just skirts along the side of... Pollock Park. It just skirts along the side of Arden. Okay, that's fine. So suddenly you're taking tens of thousands of vehicles and taking them off the, you know, away from all the nice, wealthy... Oh, right. So just, areas, just because you know. those people happen to be wealthy, well, then they're not... Then they're, they're not uh, entitled to a right to have a better environment and a car free thing. I can understand Charing Cross and Garnet Hill to a degree, but I cannot understand Pollock. Well, what, what about Nets Hill then? Take Nets Hill as the example, Junction 3, the M77, but it closes, passes pretty right. closely to property, right? Up until oh, 1996. Right. Those people didn't have all those vehicles every day, either either using the old road to get to the junction that then appeared there or mm-hmm. passing by in the motorway. So all the noise or the dust or the particulate matter, all the things that comes with car travel or vehicle, you know, vehicles on the motorway, they didn't have well, that problem because it was someone else's problem miles away. Why should that be inflicted upon them? Well, where else are you going to put When they're it? not but, the ones using that because they, they don't would have, have access been to the cars. It. They didn't have access to cars. Not Most well. people in that area still don't have access to cars. It's well below the national average. So I, you have to understand, I guess, uh, that part of the argument I, as well. I do. I do to a degree. But then why are they all quiet about it now? And it's the same with the 74, is that... There was moaning about when they wanted to complete the M74 and they built it and everyone went, oh, this is actually wonderful. You know, and you can look at what it's done to places like Rutherglen or Cambus Lang and the 77 to a degree. They're not complaining about it now. Well, this is the thing. It's almost like you don't know how good it is until you get it. And you know who's the same with this? <laughs> the people in Edinburgh when it comes to the trams. Okay. They complained because they were going to build trams. Okay. Then they complained while they built the trams. Okay. Now they complain because the trams don't go far enough, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And it's same sort of with these motorways. Is like, oh, we don't want this in. And then it comes in. And actually with the 77, the way it fits in the environment, it was better. Overall, utilitarian, looking at it, it was better for the whole area. Well, and it has brought an opportunity. But, I mean, they got a fantastic big some. Sainsbury's at Junction 3. You... These businesses yeah. don't just come along, you know, without it. And this is progress. It's development. This you is, know. It's a very interesting point of view that you're, you're giving I, today. I'm d- sure there are lots of people needs, who are But it needs, but it needs to be with... said, I okay. think. And I think when I heard it on this BBC Sounds thing, I think, well, if, if we have this attitude of, well, because I, 
I don't have this and I don't benefit from it, then it shouldn't be here. And then it's just like, well, if you had that attitude, you'd never build anything ever, any, anywhere, you know? It's like a railway line going by, well, I, I don't use the train. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, okay. but it needs to go somewhere. So that that's that's my argument. Right. Going to move on. I'm scared to know where you're taking us next, to be <laughs> honest. But, uh, okay. We need to talk about realistic alternatives to the car. If that's the way it's going to go, we're on. We're charted on this sort of path where we need to reduce car miles. So I'm a big fan of Glasgow Suburban Rail Network and its subway. You know it's that. It's very impressive. It's, yeah. very, it's great. Mm-hmm. All right, we're big fans of it. Um, I believe in transport systems that are convenient and wide-reaching combined with sort of park-and-ride facilities, so they kind of complement road infrastructure Mm -hmm. Um, I think the best method of travelling to Glasgow this is me personally right Uh, if I'm going to the west end of the city centre is I drive into Shields Road subway and I park the car there and that uses the motorway network takes me right in straight off the M74 you've got two sets of traffic lights and you're straight in there again a very good journey you get on the subway it's rapid uh, transit and it's very very quick okay okay now you know if we dial back to the 1960s and the plans for the road improvement back then there was talk and there was action, you know? Mm-hmm. The the engineers of the time and the corporation, look, this is what we want, this is what we're going to do, and they built it. They said what was going to do and they done something about it. But today's supposed problem solvers to the city's transport issues, uh, particularly ones who are advocating things like maybe removing the motorways or installing this sort of project here where there be avenues in or we bring in this certain public transport thing, they're very good at talking about it but don't offer any pragmatic ways of actually implementing them, which I think is a bit of a critique I'm going, I'm doing down here, you can probably tell. So the Clyde Metro is a good example where it's a fantastic idea. Admittedly, it is a rehash of a lot of old stuff where it's previous tram light rail proposals but nonetheless a good idea but with no money or scope to actually achieve it in a reasonable way that we can all fathom as much as we have a go at people in edinburgh at least they're getting on with the trams at least that is going somewhere i don't see this clyde metro happening anytime soon and this is something we need to talk about so the clyde metro as I said, I'm quite keen on it, just to give everyone a rundown, is proposing to have light rail, heavy rail, which they call light um, light metro or heavy metro, they call it, to access areas poorly served currently by rail, such as the new hospital, um, Renfrew, the airport, as well as conversion of some traditional heavy rail services on the south side to a kind of metro rapid transit surface. There uh, are also plans to put a tram-like system into the East End and up into Easterhouse, which is again kind of very similar to Strathclyde tram proposals of, of the 80s and 90s, which I feel is a great idea to kind of link those parts of town with other parts because they, they are poorly linked by yep. public transport. Mm-hmm. So I asked Stuart, where are the timelines and more importantly the finances coming for for such a such a big and fantastic project such as this you know is we do, we don't really know and instead what what i find frustrating is that energies and resources are being directed to impacting the urban motorway network and in my opinion not just for the not not for the better so if you look at the ma the m74 and the m77 we've spoke about the the benefits that these do provide um you know uh, just now so why not really leave these alone and focus on the public transport solutions? And this is where some of the money and thought should be. I think that, as I said earlier, they're trying to create a problem 
to justify the solution that is something like a metro system by means of a managed decline or, or an outright kind of deliberate restraints on the existing road system. Is this an opinion I have? Um, if we aren't careful, we could sleepwalk our way into a situation where we've wrecked our road network and provided no improvement to public transport in the process. A worst of all world scenario. Yes, there would be less cars, but there would also be less business and economic activity. So if you can imagine it, big restrictions going on, all parts from everything from speed limit restrictions, closing of things, but then no viable alternative, and you've, you've ended up in a worse situation than you were before. So are we still wrong? What do you reckon the way this discussion is going? You look it's, very thoughtful, very it, pensive. It's a very difficult it is difficult. Subject matter. Because what works for you mm. doesn't necessarily work for the person who has to live next to such a road. And I'm sure even you can understand why that some people who live next to okay. the big busy urban sections of road but would, as a, would as a whole, to see them removed. As a whole, yeah. is having a good road network a bad thing? No, because there's always going to be a need for roads of some kind. Yes. But at the same time, those roads have to be sympathetic to the yeah. to the areas that they're passing through and, and but and, they have and they have been okay in the cases of glasgow or as sympathetic as they can be yeah you know we, we've spoken you about quite a lot have of that length missed completely from my sort of point of view the fact that a lot Here of these go. roads aren't functioning particularly well at peak times so they're busy they're very busy they're congested there's far too much traffic on them well um and you know it's not all perfect it's not all rosy you know, no, it's it's not. Because yeah. we, we've said there is a reason for that, though, uh -huh. because the whole network wasn't constructed as such. Mm -hmm. But let's look at the. Let's focus on your point of it being busy. Mm -hmm. People are voting with their feet, okay. And if all the academics and planners are correct in in feeling the need to reduce car miles in urban areas, then why do we go out each day and see this congestion all the time and see such high utilization of well, the road network? Why? Because people it's, have to work. They have to work. It's the results speak for themselves. We do have actually quite a convenient system in Glasgow from the outset of it. I can see why people might really give up in a place like Edinburgh and think oh, I've never taken the car. And rightfully so. Yeah. But in Glasgow, there is still that sort of, you look at it and think, yeah, I've got the M8, I've got the M74, I should be able to worm my way but, through this at but, peak time. But you you're know? talking about the Glasgow region, the yeah. city region as they talk about now, not yeah. the city itself. Yeah. Right? But it's the Glasgow city centre that's suffering as a result of your movement's cross-conurbation. Right? Because that, because the but I'm not going into the city centre grid. No, but what I mean is you're passing through the city centre area yeah. in terms of your your vehicle passing along the motorway, the noise that's produced by that, um, <clears throat> the, the, the fumes or whatever that are coming from your vehicle, mm -hmm. or if it's electric, that's not so much of an issue, fair enough. But that, that's kind of the point, isn't it? That, that there's a lot of traffic from outside the city is yeah. passing through the city um, on the road system, the, the motorway system, and that impacts upon the residents that are nearby it. But let me... Let me Pose a question to you, right? So you you travel every day from West Lothian to the south side of Glasgow, okay, for work. Mm -hmm. What would it take to get you to make that journey by okay. other means? Okay, I'd have to drive to the station. the st The nearest station to me is a forty five minute to an hour walk. Okay, and what's the driving distance? See, and does it have a parking ride facility? 
It's got a car. Yeah, it does. It has a car park. Okay, there. and then you would then take a train from there to Central Glasgow. I yeah, take to it? Queen Street. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> how would you make the final part of the journey from Queen Street to your place of work? Uh, very good question. I d- there's no railway stations at the, where uh, final place of work, but I believe I'd need to walk across to possibly Buchanan Bus Station, get a bus, and from then there. take a bus okay. or George Square. So, yeah. what could anyone do? that would make that a more attractive proposition to you than simply getting in the car and going straight from A to B? Brilliant question. That's the problem. Every If I was to choose that, but think, oh, well, we could provide a station nearer you, or we could have some kind of other uh, light rail system or tram system that so, would take take me to there. And it, all of these things in some way, you know, they're never going to be as convenient so, right? as, as, a, as the so, car. You know, from a policy makers point of view mm-hmm. they know that there's very little they can do to cater for the specific journey requirements of every person on the road but so the easiest yeah. thing for them to do is to make use of the car less convenient for you to force the other option upon you thereby, or at least make you consider yeah thereby disadvantaging me in terms of the amount of time that I'd have to spend commuting. Now, this is me. I am an able-bodied person, Stuart. Yeah. But let's consider something, someone who's older. Let's consider someone who might stay even further away or someone who has disabilities. Policies surrounding maybe restricting cars or making things more difficult for cars can be discriminatory in some ways. But... And the other side of the point He's pointing that here, the other side of the <laughs> argument here is that people in those sorts of positions could be said to be someone who is a legitimate user of a car because they require that for their yeah. independence. Right. You, as a young, fit, able-bodied person, as you yeah. just described yourself, are not so dependent on that option. And if the numbers of vehicles and traffic on the roads reduce, then life is made easier for people who do need to use the roads because they by, do by depend freeing, on it. By freeing it Absolutely. up. Absolutely. You know. And not only that, for people on buses and other forms of transport that are dependent on using the roads. So it ultimately all comes back to your don't selfishness. You, I, I was going to say you're going to say laziness because you no, can't be bothered walking. No, to- I, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say that. And there's other factors like right, weather right, and things on. that need to be considered. Absolutely. But it ultimately, comes back to and stuff you need to bring with you to yeah, work. Almost your selfishness, your wow. privileged uh, wow. viewpoint. No, hang on, let me <laughs> let me put, let me put it to you. Let me put it to you. That you feel that you think you should just have mm-hmm. unrestricted access to the road system because you have the ability <laughs> to, to have a car, to yeah. use a car. Why should I have to suffer? Right? Now mm-hmm. that's that's one side of the argument, but the but that has an adverse effect on other people who are excluded from that particular option. I don't for think for a so. whole I, number I, of reasons. I, I actually don't think so. I think I think in many ways, like if I have that way of getting to work, and genuinely, it isn't much of a choice at the moment based on where it is and the concessions that I would have to take if I wasn't to drive would be too great. Uh, in in for me, it would it would affect me quite a lot. Is that people, other people, it doesn't really 
disadvantage them because if they don't have a car and so they just make their own means, they don't. What I'm trying to say is they almost don't know what they're missing out on. Okay, so back to my original question you know? to you then: What would it take to stop you using the car? Would it be? I don't would want it to... be a financial implication or a penalty? Would yeah. it be? A I don't time want to give them any ideas. Implication or a penalty? I, would it be a mixture of both? It's it's, a, it's definitely I'd say time. Okay, so it's more about so it's probably it's, more about the convenience. It's more about for the you. convenience than the fun. I'm not saying because I'm loaded or something. Okay, it's just that time to me is money as well, you know. And going, gosh, I can get home from work in thirty five minutes. Yeah, if I take public transport, it'd be an hour and a half, or it'd be nearly two hours or something like that. And that's you know, you only have a finite amount of life. That's less time you get to spend with your loved ones and your family and things. Like yeah, that, you know. No, I, you're right. The, you know, the, I think what's obvious here is that there's right. no one no, single answer. there isn't. There are always going to be people who have, who end up living next to urban motorways who are suffering as a result of that, which is clear. Okay, the other side of that argument is, of course, is, well, why did they, why did they move there? Because mm. the chances are they are younger than the road. That's one side of it. I know, I know you would probably hit back on that. But ultimately, they're there. They may not have the choice to be anywhere else. Mm. Uh, and then there's the convenience of others and whether, that, whether your convenience should trump the inconvenience for the person yeah. who lives next to it. It's a, it's a huge debate. There is no simple answer. Cars are great, though. I mean, I'd said it earlier, this door-to-door, and you mentioned about weather as well, you know, and stuff, and you can carry things about. It is a... Why are we kind of going backwards? Why are we like, this isn't great? And I know you're saying, well, the space they take up and other things, but this is the... Maybe we can't resolve this, but it's just that it's like, I feel like we're taking a step back here. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I, I think I know, do you, what, you're, do you know, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone should have to jump in a car to maybe get that. And I think a lot of people putting these arguments live in a nice part of town where they get this easy public transport and they hop out their flat in the West End with a folding bike and pedal down to their work and everything's perfect and rosy. Why can't the whole city be like that? Well, guess what? Not everyone lives right next to the subway. Yeah. Indeed. You that, know? Yeah. That, that's a big part of the argument. There's no doubt about it. I think, looking at the clock, I'm probably running out of a bit of time here. You are indeed. You have and ranted for almost an hour now. That's <laughs> still not close to your record. So I, I'm gonna. I have more in there, but I think the point comes across without this becoming boring. So I think I'm just going to wrap it there. But are we wrong? Maybe we don't know about this. You know, maybe, maybe it's as you say, you, such a big argument. You say, are you wrong? You yeah. mean, are you wrong about for, for, enjoying your unlimited access to the car and the convenience of it? Yes. I don't know if you're wrong, but I don't know if you're right either. Yeah. But why are you any more right or any more wrong than someone on the it's other side else. of the argument? Yeah. That's what I mean. There's no easy way to deal with this. Yeah. We have limited resources. We can't provide for everybody's possible journey options mm. and solutions. That that just would be unviable. Uh, but there has to be surely a balance there that can be reached between people in, that, want, that need need to use private cars. Yes. Right? Not want to use private cars, need to use private cars. Mm-hmm. And those who expect more and better public transport and a better existence yeah. away from motorways and stuff. Yeah. No, there we go. And in the meantime, we're probably going to need more motorways and roads to accommodate this. <laughs> well... <laughs> 
I'm sure a lot of people probably that. probably gasped there at that. I, I would suggest that you're probably wrong well, on that point. Just um, to paraphrase what I was going to say at the end of this about what the actual... Because I've gone critiquing what people's solutions are, so it's only fair I say is that we do still need to focus on improving the nation's roads. We do still need to focus on safety improvements and capacity improvements. But at the same time, there needs to be proper planning, politically proof planning, for improving public transport like metro system, maybe in the same vein as something like that. So you mean cross-party agreement? Cross-party agreement. This is a 30-year plan for providing a comprehensive cycling and walking network here, a comprehensive light rail system here, not just some token cycleways that are put in that no one uses or or, um, public transport systems that will never see the light of day that are too expensive for anyone to use. They need to think about this seriously. Okay, just before we wrap up, I'm very interested to hear what, the listeners think are you on your own on this okay are you in the minority or are am i going mad a lot of people who listen to this are they in the same position yeah Um, i might just be the dinosaur here so i I do i do want to hear what people think they might say oh stuart has a point that guy's an idiot or or, you know what i might have created a whole new religion here Mm -hmm. uh to be honest and people people agree with me i do have a feeling that i do there's probably a kind of silent majority of people that sit out there and go, well, now that you put it that way, yeah, that's probably my barriers to not giving up the car. Okay. You've got 10 seconds to make any final points. No, all I want to say is thank you very much for uh, letting me talk about this. And it's been great to debate with you about it and get your viewpoints. It's been a while since we had the podcast that sort of looked at these kinds of issues and... and, and I think it's good it's just you and I as well. Maybe yes. we should involve someone else with another yeah. viewpoint on this at some point. That would be that would make for a very interesting podcast. And you know what? Why not? Why not? Hmm. Why not? There are other opinions here. You'd have to have a referee or a moderator, of course. But I'm sure could I could be. handle that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, right. thank you for that, John. Clearly, you have very strong views on that. Uh, that has come across very clearly. I'm, you wanted to, to get that. Yeah, on the, the views are strong. Done that. strong. I'm fine. not an extremist, but I, no. I thought these things just needed to be said okay. in light of what was was saying. Fair enough. Certainly, a long way for this debate to go before there's any answers. Okay. Uh, to it. Anyway, we're done for this we're episode. We'll, we'll be back very soon with another one. All mm-hmm. episodes are available wherever you'll find good podcasts. Search for the Scottish Roadscast and, and it'll come up. You're listening already. You've found it already. Don't well need done. to tell you that. Leave us a review, please. It's always good to, to get some feedback on what we're doing. Give us a like if you're on yeah. YouTube or a comment. Absolutely. Subscribe. And of course, the social media channels are still being updated every single day of the week with mm-hmm. multiple posts. You've got some new then and now posts coming out over the next few weeks. You've got a fantastic new batch of photos yes. that are finding their way out there, which indeed never been seen before from somebody's personal collection. Indeed. And Duncan has some great images from up north, both current and historic. Uh, there's some car spotting posts coming down yeah. the line as well, and we're working on various sort of things. So yeah, you know we're very busy in the background. So I think all that's left to say... Jonas, thank a, you again. Thank you. But we have to say thank you to our sponsors. Yes, we should. To uh, Nigel and the team at HBS. And Andy and the team, of course, at Eastwood Excavations as well. Thank, thank you, guys. That's thank you for the that. reason why we can do this is because of the support that you do. Indeed. Okay, so, so on that note, thank you. And we will see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>